Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, Dr. Raj here. And you know what? This is another Dr. Raj show. I think this is episode number two. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm loving these podcasts. And today, we have an amazing guest. And you know, this is actually one of my closest friends, one of my good friends. And I'm not just going to do the friendship card over here. I actually have a little thing I'm going to say before I just jump into the Dr. Raj show. So. Once again, Dr. Raj shows about being yourself. It's about talking about not just things in the medical standpoint, not just talking about doctors, but talking about people, people, how they react to different diseases, talking about things that are important in society and to be honest and to have a good time. So today, my guest is going to be Dr. Monisha Benote. And I'm going to do a little reading. So if it sounds like I'm reading, it's probably because I am. So, I mean, the show is all going to be about reading her long resume because it is quite long. I don't even know where to begin and end. but. You know, Dr. Benote is integrative medicine physician, anatomic and clinical pathologist, a cytopathologist, which maybe she has to explain that to us. Uh, she's an author, and I can attest to that, a very good author, researcher, culinary medicine chef. I'm not going to let that one slide. I'm going to ask her about that one. She's a yoga teacher and mindfulness facilitator. She had fellowships in almost everything. She has cytopathology under her belt, breast, bone, and soft tissue. And she did a two-year fellowship in integrative medicine. And I had to throw to stop right there because it's just too many things she's in already. So without further ado, I'm going to let you speak now, finally. Dr. Benoit, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for reminding me of all the things that I've done. <laughs> thank you for having me on your show. And uh, yeah, let's, let's dive into what do you want to know? What shall we well, talk about know, today? Well, you know what? I mean, it, it just, I always think back about how long we've been friends. I mean, it's two decades. You got to admit, time goes by fast when you have good friends. You know, can you believe that? 20 years already? It's 20 years, and you are aging both of us here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I will say we have both aged very well. I, I will say that. <laughs> you know, just because you said that, I might have to make a video of this one already because everyone's going to want to know what you and I look like now because of it, you know? But, I, you know, I was thinking about the questions. I'm going to go back, jump in the time machine, you know, like the Back to the Future DeLorean. And one thing that we both have in common is that we did our training all over in the States. You know, we lived in different places. And so right now I'm in California. Yay, but bad on the second resurgence of COVID. But you lived here for a while with me. And you live in San Diego. So I wanted to ask you, you're a San Diego. We have some stories in New York together. You're in Florida right now. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Which of those three has been your favorite place to live? And, and what, did you, what was your favorite thing about being in San Diego here in California? I'm going to leave you answer those questions. Well, it, well all of them have been um, definitely different experiences. And, um, you know, for one country, um, all three of those states actually have very different um, personalities of people um, that you interact with. Um, they even have different, uh, slightly different work ethics, even in the same um, medical specialty or medical field. So um, th there's a variety across the board. 
I will say I am partial to the warmer places. So okay. between between California and Florida, I would say California <laughs> only because right now I Yay, think it's like right. I think outside <laughs> it's ninety five degrees and the humidity here oh, yeah. in Florida is you might as well be in the Northeast. Um, it it is humid, which in um, lovely San Diego, you know. Mind you, we did not have the season, so yeah. um, uh, we didn't know if it was holiday time or not unless the lights came up um, for Christmas. But uh, <laughs> but at least you didn't have to check the weather. So um, we didn't worry about that. We did, we did worry about the earthquakes and the fires, but here mm-hmm. we're worried about the hurricanes. And uh, I don't mind, actually, the afternoon um, uh, storms here. They're, they're actually nice. It cools Wait, you said the word so. storms? I mean, I never heard of the afternoon storm. So in, in Florida, <laughs> in Florida, there's afternoon storms because really? yes, absolutely. Okay. Like, I don't know if it's season right now, but what happens is it'll be really, really hot. And then come two o'clock, three o'clock, it just is, it, is, like is there thunder? Is there like a thunder yes. noise in the background? Yeah. So if oh. we lose, if we lose right. power, you will know why. I mean, I've lost power multiple times from. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And, you know, unless a thunderstorm comes, there's the alligator. So I got to say San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am I am lucky enough to not have encountered those <laughs> so far. <laughs> so I want to be biased. I think I liked you more in San Diego because you're just a driving distance from me, you know. But it's, you know, we live in states where even if you're in the same state, it's, it's far. I mean, one time you, and I remember you came to visit me and my wife one time and I invited you to see a Star Wars movie. And <laughs> I, that, it, it touched me. I love, you drove what? It was like four hours to go see well, Star Wars. So technically, <laughs> if it wasn't for the timing of the day it was and the hour it was to get to downtown LA from San Diego <laughs> yeah. and drive up the five, it could have been done in two hours. But, but this is LA <laughs> prime time and this opening night of Star Wars. There you where, go. You know, um, <laughs> but it, it was very eventful. <laughs> so, and, and we really had the best seats in the house. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> now, say, so even though I'm glad you said California first, I'm glad we said Southern California first. So we do have some great memories in New York. And I don't want to let ever forget some of the things that we did, whether it be together or separate. But one thing people didn't know about me and I don't know about you is that we both trained literally during the time of 9-11. And I gave you a pre-interview kind of like, let's figure out what we're going to talk about. And you gave me a teaser. And you said you definitely have an interesting, I don't know if interesting, a good or sad or way about 9-11. And let me just say, both of us were in the hospitals, I know, during our rotations at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a life-changing event. And I, I got to know now, what is your okay. story when you were in so, New York? So, wow, you're going to make me emotional early on. <laughs> um, yeah, so the story of 9-11 is I was on my surgery rotation. I don't know. You said you were on your medicine rotation, Medicine, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I was on my surgery rotation. It was in downtown Brooklyn. Okay. And, um, you know, the early morning, you're doing the rounds. You're seeing the patients that need to have their dressings changed and, you know, just doing what you do as a, as a, uh, a medical student, right? So... In this particular hospital, um, the patient beds are two beds per room, and there is one TV available, and it's in the corner. And, um, you know, 
the the patient in the room is watching the TV and stuff and um, with the news on. And um, frankly, I, 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 there's many reasons I don't watch the news, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the patient was watching it and we saw the actual footage of the first tower being hit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's just so, crazy. Um, oh, my God. So then, you know, the window that... Yeah, I wasn't prepared for that. (laughs) I I want to finish the story for you, though. Yeah, finish Um, the story. Yeah. There's a window in that patient's room that actually faces where the second tower was. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we actually saw the second tower. And with that, Code Orange was called for the hospital. And, you know, we we don't really, you know, we know Code Blue and we know Code Red and all this. But Code Orange, you you don't hear. Right. What is a code orange? I don't know what a code orange is. Yeah, is so orange? I don't know if this has changed in the last 20 plus years or whatnot, yeah. but at that time, what code orange was, was basically we needed to empty all the beds in the hospital that okay. p- patients could be discharged sure. because we were setting ourselves up for patients coming in from this event. Right? Okay, makes sense. So, and when you're on your surgery rotation, you're technically also overlapping with the emergency room, right? So when a trauma and stuff, so when anybody's coming in, you're there, you're not, you know, sleeping in a call room or anything. You are in the thick of things. Yeah. We were in there and, you know, they wouldn't let us go home. So we're waiting and waiting and, and I, I don't even recall the number of hours that went by. Or number of days actually that we were in there just waiting for people. Maybe sure. it was like two days or so um, okay. before they kind of. So um, you couldn't even leave to go home. They they, no. they shut down the hospital, and you, as a student, were well. In the hospital they a- they asked us wow. to stay. Yeah, I, and I, okay. I believe this was the times before we had the the is it a duty, sixty the or duty hours? Hour? Yeah, the duty <laughs> hours. Course. This was before that time. I will tell you. So, so okay. once again, I'm telling you how long ago we've done this. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this was before the duty hours were implemented and, you know, we were, we were getting prepared and getting all the stuff we would need to, to manage these kinds of trauma cases. What actually ended up happening is, um, the patients that ended up coming in were patients that had glass shards okay, in their arms, in their body, like just sure. everywhere. and there was very few patients because a lot of people didn't survive it. Right. Catastrophic. Yeah. um, These were people who, you know, literally walked across the Brooklyn bridge to get to whatever hospital they could get to. Wow. Um, so, so they're not even coming in by paramedic or EMS. They're just like, this no, is no, no. So I, I mean, wow. they're coming in that way too, but like yeah. some, some were like, they, they just wow. had to figure out because a, a lot of things shut down. So, the other aspect of it is, so all the phone lines were down, right? Sure. This is the time, you know, at that time, some people had cell phones, some people did not. So my dad actually yeah. works downtown. And Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't see that coming. That was like, yeah. oh my God. All right. And that's why, you know, thinking that's back you get, on it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, I mean, let me just so, ask so, you, was so he there? Was my, he there? I'm going to tell you his story. So, okay. so he takes the train from 
New Jersey, even though he lives in Pennsylvania, he takes the train from New Jersey yeah. into downtown Manhattan, into um, not Penn Station, into the actual World Trade Center. Okay. Every day. Sure. For 30, I don't know. Gosh, now, now it must be like, I don't know, over 30 years, let's say. Wow. Okay. So he takes that train every day and around that exact time that that event wow. happened. So what happened was, you know, um, besides the fact that I'm on the surgery rotation trying to help people, you know, uh, 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 help people yeah. um, I was also trying to track down my dad. Of course. And all the cell lines and everything, super busy. Like, there's just no signal getting through. Okay. So this is now about, I would say... 14 hours in 12 to 14 hours in so all that happened around between eight and nine in the morning and now we're looking at around nine ten almost midnight at night and i still have not been able to get in touch with my dad oh my god i mean the cliche that time is going so slow seconds to days i mean i could imagine oh my god yeah so the question was yeah say it was he there or was he not right yeah we, we didn't know yeah yeah Luckily, um, what happened was that he didn't have to be in his downtown location that day for work. He actually had to be uptown. So he oh. missed it by 10 minutes. 10 minutes wow. he missed it. Yeah. That's, that's and, a good ending. That's a great ending. That's a good ending. Oh yeah. But um, so his story is he missed it by 10 minutes. He was sure. on his way uptown. Um, but because this was just a quite a thing for any train coming from downtown out and stuff, what he actually had to do was, uh, I don't remember what street it was from, but all the people that were kind of in that area and a little bit north of that, they, get, they got off the subways and they had to walk um, north and then west to take a ferry across back to New Jersey. Wow. And then get back on the New Jersey transit to go home to wherever they came from. Sure. That whole process clearly took him the 12 to 14 hours to do, right? Of course. And there's chaos and everyone's confused. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. So finally, you know, um, that that was that. And then, yeah. Yeah. No, um, I mean, I'm sorry. It is a a day I will never forget. (laughs) Now, we took an Oprah side turn on this question over there. But, you know, it's something like I said, I think that when I think of just our friendship or just our education as far as learning to become doctors, I think it's great that we experience different states at the social level, at the hospital level. But one thing I wanted to ask you is because, you know, many of my listeners have questions of, you know, why do you go into certain aspects of medicine? Why do surgeons become surgeons and people become internists, whatever it is? So... I know for a fact that we, you, for one year, were an internal medicine resident, you know? So what is your take on internal medicine? And how does one go? And here's the question. How does one go from internal medicine to I love people and being like house, the TV show, to I like dead people? Okay, (laughs) yeah, let me fill you in on this, because that is a misconception. So, um, and misconception, actually, of all all, uh, quite a bit of the pathology field. Um, So yes, I did start out with internal medicine, I was categorical medicine, um, when I started and the system at that time back in the early um, 2000s, when I was doing 
internal medicine was not the way I personally imagined being a doctor in the sense of at that time, you know, we had three career choices, right? You're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer. I chose doctor. <laughs> so um, I chose it because it, it, it came easy to me. So why not do the easier thing? <laughs> but, but no, really, I, I like the science behind it. Yeah. So I went and I did internal medicine. And the challenges I found there were I was not truly able to help a patient in the level I felt that I wanted to or I could because of the hospital red tape of um, whether it be, all right, you're admitted for this diagnosis. And according to this DRG, you have this many days in the hospital, run this many sets of whatever labs, and then they're out the door. Set them up for an appointment with your clinic. You see them a couple weeks later in your clinic, and you're laughing because you know this is true. <laughs> and and, and I, sense a, I sense a little hatred in your voice over there. No, 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 no. Because you'll see that or frustration. Um, one of those two words. Well, this was my experience. Yeah. So, nope. based on my experience, I'm, I made the best choice for me in which direction to go from there. But nevertheless, um, even when I saw the patients in the clinic. I was reading my same H&Ps, I was reading my same notes, and, and it didn't feel like I was actually contributing something to the patient. So even though maybe I was, but to me, it didn't feel You like didn't it. feel it. Okay. Yes. So, and, heard, and I heard that quite a bit. I heard that with a lot of internists and family practice doctors. Well said. Yeah. So at, at that time, I, you know, I decided, all right, am I going to continue down this or shall I kind of go back to the roots of, you know, why I went into medicine in the first place. Like, what do I love about medicine? Right. And anatomy. There you go. Sure. The human body. Right. So the two practices that really need to understand everything about the human body inside and out are radiology and pathology. I narrowed it down to those two. And actually, I believe my last year of medical school, maybe eight months, I, I did a lot of radiology electives. I mean, I sure. did a lot of interventional uh, radiology because I loved procedures. And, and I really thought I was going to go down that, that path after um, uh, medicine was not quite my thing at that time. I, I will input in quotes at that time. <laughs> But I did not want to sit in a dark room uh, for <laughs> the rest of my career. So that, that will do a number on your circadian rhythm. Absolutely. Right <laughs> the circadian rhythm, if you want to talk about that, is so important. Um, so, Gnana, you have to answer the question. So, yes. what, what pathology, what, what attracted you to dead okay, body parts? So, what attracted me to pathology is that, one, there is so much to know. Okay, there is no way to grasp the extent of what pathology entails because it is literally every disease, whether it's benign or malignant, inflammatory, but, uh, you know, just it encompasses everything. Infectious, it, it's so encompassing that it, it was one of those things when you enjoy learning about stuff, you know you're never going to be tired of learning more because you're not wow. going to be able to grasp it. So you should be the spokesperson for pathology because <laughs> I got to tell you, you know, I know a lot of pathologists because every doctor needs a good pathologist. You know, I'm a lung doctor who looks at my biopsies, people like you, 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't think they have the enthusiasm when I ask them, why'd you go in pathology like you do? You know? So, if, well, if I mention, well so- <laughs> we will get into that. So, not, so a lot of people do go into pathology because they do not like the patient doctor relationship. There is no doubt right. about that. I, 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 I can vouch I, for that. I will say that I know many colleagues mm-hmm. who would rather not interact with any patients and just be in their office. And that's, that's perfectly fine. That suits yeah. their personality. Sure. The, the, yeah. You know, um, they're satisfied from that. As you can see, I'm not the typical pathologist. So not, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I will tell you, so not only did I do pathology, I did anatomic and clinical pathology. I did a fellowship in cytopathology, which you're um, pertaining to. What is that? And then Mm. I also did fellowships in breast pathology, bone and soft tissue. So, oh my God, there's not enough time for each one of those. So I'm going to direct these questions. I'm going to give you this. So I want to know, explain to my audience, what is a cytopathologist? Mm -hmm. And I think reading your extensive bio Talk about breast, because mm-hmm. I feel like breast cancer is very important in our country. And especially with, you know, I think just on the news, if you heard about John Travolta's wife, she passed yep. away from breast cancer. Can you comment on why breast as a subspecialist and what is a cytopathologist? Yeah. Take it away. So I'll, I'll be very, very quick on what cytopathology yeah. is. Uh, cytopathology yep. is a separate board certification within pathology where we're actually looking at the tissue on a um, more of a single cell or um, level as opposed to actually a tissue biopsy. So this is when we might be looking at fine needle aspiration. So you imagine the thyroid gets a few cells taken out. So uh, cytopathology is less tissue um, removed from the body. It's also... um, done in say so you're a pulmonologist so bronchoscopy so we are correct you know looking yep. at um lymph nodes for whether it's for sarcoid or we're looking at them for mets so it it is a collaboration between us and the clinician when we're doing uh, fine needle aspirations um like i said I love collaborating with <laughs> clinicians so i have no no qualms about going down there and doing these procedures <laughs> Uh, with them. Not all pathologists want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, 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 before you answer about the breast thing, too, I wanted to like answer me this question. I've been dying to ask a pathologist this. It seems that every time I'm doing a little biopsy or one of my partners, whether it be a kidney doctor or anything, get a biopsy, it's almost guaranteed that the pathologist is going to say one thing at the end of their report. You know what? I could use a little more tissue. Okay. <laughs> now, 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 Dr. Benoit, I got to ask you this. Is it standard um, that you have to rub it in our faces that we don't get enough tissue for you? Is that just a standard well, no, ending? Uh, uh, you know? that, yes, it's a standard ending, but I will tell you why it's a standard ending. The standard ending is because you now with all this additional testing that we have, for example, Say you're you're doing a four R lymph node, and you, you got it. We confirm that it's a met, and then we we say, "All right, Doctor Raj, it's positive, but I want more tissue." <laughs> this is why I'm telling you I want more tissue because you're gonna call me two days later and be like, uh, "Can you run ALK, ROS one, EGFR, and all these molecular tests on it?" Okay. And I'm gonna say to you, <laughs> "Well." 
I have it on my one slide that will tell me it's cancer, but I don't have the tissue in the cell block that will allow me to run these molecular tests. So you remember when I asked you for more tissue, that's why I asked you. So it's not to make me feel bad, not to put my Absolutely ego in the not. trash. No, okay, no. at least we can, everyone listening, at least it's not just, well, I, I, no, I like I, that I hope I not, most, mostly not. We, <laughs> you, we, we want it for a reason, the more the better. That's good. All right, so the answer, so, uh, you did a lot of different things, so specializing in path. Why, why breast? I think that's very okay, important. So, so breast is from the time that I've trained to, um, there, there was a little bit of an interval between when I trained work and then did breast fellowship. So um, breast has changed over the years in the complexity of the disease. I mean, we are not talking about invasive lobular carcinoma and invasive ductal carcinoma. There are 30 different kinds of breast cancers. I, I didn't um, even know that. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so, um, so not only are there different kinds of breast cancers, they're also different on the basis of how they would be treated. So as opposed to, say, you know, one disease that has one or so treatments, breast cancer has many treatments. They all have somewhat of a basis in surgery, chemo, and radiation. However, there's additional things like hormones um, and other things you might add to them. Sure. And they also have the potential to recur differently, too. Like, for example, triple negative breast cancers are one of the hardest ones to treat. Now, now let me just throw out a medical pearl for all my listeners. So triple negative, and, you know, just you, I think it went beyond people's heads right there. Okay. if we're testing for what's called estrogen, progesterone, and HER2 receptor, these are very important receptors to use some of the hormones Dr. Benoit just said. So if you have triple negative, oh, that is no good. Back well, to you. <laughs> what it is is that, so if you have an estrogen positive, progesterone positive tumor, you have a drug that can target it. If you Correct. have a HER2 positive tumor, you have a drug that can target it. If Herceptin. you have an, yes. <laughs> If you have estrogen, progesterone, her, uh, a HER2 negative, you cannot take any of those. You're not eligible for those. Nope. So you have to go down a whole nother route of treatment. Like and chemotherapy, the, which is um, no fun. Well, yeah, but also um, triple negative breast cancers are also more aggressive. Yes, they are. Okay. Yeah. Um, they, are, uh, they are just aggressive um, tumors and they happen in, um, very often in younger women. But um, so, so one of the things I do want to mention about breast cancer is everybody's like, oh, well, my family doesn't have it. My genetics are okay. And I, I, I'm not going to worry about it. And I, I do want to remind people that 95% of breast cancers are not genetics. So when, well we're talk, when we're talking about, say, the BRCA patients, yes, that is genetics. And when we're talking about the other people who get cancers, there are genes in there that have been mutated. So is it really a genetic thing? No. What it is, is through factors in your life, we all develop mutations. We, we are all continuously dividing ourselves and we are growing tumors. The tumors are getting killed off. Some grow and some don't. So that's the whole sure. process in it. Yeah. So. What happens is, depending on a lot of these external factors, whether it's your sleep, whether it's your nutrition, whether um, you are um, overweight, obesity is a big factor because um, adipocytes and um, increased estrogen in the body. 
if um, you drink alcohol. So there, there's a handful of factors that, you know, we could run down. But the fact remains is that no one is immune to any disease except you really have to take care of yourself, right? Um, no, definitely. And so, I like the way you said it. It's kind of like, sure, me and you could memorize all these different genetic tests, but it really comes down to people don't realize the diet, the weight loss, mm-hmm. exercise. I love that you mentioned pillars of health that people usually associate with heart and stroke, but even cancers. Mm-hmm. So I think that was just a great statement. But yeah. before I ask you your next question, so did you go into breast cancer because it's something you wanted to represent that was needed more of a spokesperson because you're embracing it as a woman? Why did you go into it? So bre- breast cancer, so the organ in itself is very interesting, right? Because the breast actually sits outside the body, outside your thoracic and abdominal cavity. So as opposed to other major organ tumors that are occurring within your system, imagine all these changes are happening in this tissue that literally sits outside your rib space. So well, yeah, that happen? Isn't like that, that cool? Like, and like I said, there's at least 30 different types of breast tumors. So how is it that a woman's breast goes from the normal development of the ducts and the lobules mm-hmm. and transforms into all these different varieties of breasts. I mean, if you were just to see the images of this, it's, it's yeah. just amazing how something outside, kind of outside our body can do this, right? And, you know, you said if you could see this. So I think you're going to plug me right now because I'm jumping out of order my interview. <laughs> you, my awesome friend, are the volume editor of our pathology book that we have written together. And I'm so excited. We are embracing the USMLE step one students everywhere. And we have an amazing uh, breast case that Dr. Benode actually is really all the wonderful things she described. If you can see her expression talking about the positive diagnosis are in these cases. So yeah. we'll get back to that. But I want to make sure because I, we've had our pre-interview I wanted to ask you a question that I think is very important to you and me is what is this, this integrative medicine? Okay. I think that's what the whole point of doing this interview is to help out talking about integrative medicine, because you went from internal medicine to pathology and now you're doing integrative medicine. Yeah, I want yeah. to give you some time so to explain that. I, I still continue to do pathology. Um, the pathology will always be, um, you know, in my practice because um, I, I love it. So I, I now I do pathology as a consultant, as a private consultant. However, after diagnosing diseases for over 20 years and reading patients' charts and kind of putting these connections together about, you know, even something as easy as um, or as common, I should say, not easy as common as reflux disease, right? Okay. Um, You know, patients get on these protocols where they're coming back and they're getting checked for their um, uh, reflux disease, getting checked for um, intestinal metaplasia, Barrett's esophagus, uh, possible dysplasia. So they get into the spectrum. But then when you actually read the patient's chart to see, did anybody address some of the lifestyle factors in here? Okay. There's so it's going gap. back to the basis. Oh, I, it, it is going yeah. back to the basis of how does all disease develop by some process, cellular process of inflammation, you could say, sure. is, is a very broad umbrella to put it under. But 
there's something that happens in our body. So what integrative medicine essentially does is instead of taking the person into their siloed medical system of, okay, we are dealing with a gastrointestinal disease or we are dealing with a pulmonary disease or now maybe we're dealing with neurology or something like that. They take into account the entire person. Um, so it's basically whole body medicine, looking at the person both from a body uh, approach, from a mind approach, from a spiritual approach. Um, oh, okay. I mean, it, it takes into literally who is this person from, you know, their experiences, their life to how they handle stress, to how they react to things. How can we incorporate all this because you can't treat just one disease and expect things to just go away. And that's where the interesting thing with breast cancer is because right. breast cancer does reoccur. Breast cancer happens in one in eight women. Wow. One in eight women right now. And okay. my youngest I've diagnosed is 18 years old. Oh, that's why, horrible. Why is an 18-year-old, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. my whole thing is with the integrative um, like I said, I love pathology, but I am still a people person. Um, so to get that, I, I think I have a very unique perspective to provide to a patient where I've literally seen every organ held every, I mean, in my literally, hand. Literally, you held it. You, you literally, I literally held it in my they're, they're hand. dead, but you held it. <laughs> um, no, no, no. So I, I will answer to that. But you know, so I've seen how diseases develop on such a cellular sure. level yep. that I know there's a lot of things we can do to prevent these because at the end of the day, it is a lot easier to prevent, or not a lot easier, it is a lot more cost effective and better well, well for the said. patient to prevent all of these chronic diseases than the actual experience of having to go through them. Because people don't realize until they actually have to go through it, how broken they feel, right? So yeah. if, if, if they, once they have that experience, they might be like, okay, I need to make some changes. But my feeling is you shouldn't have to get to that point for you to realize or for you to want to make yourself better. Yep. And, you know, and I actually looked at your website. We're going to give you a chance to, to let everyone know where it is. And I looked at the different disease states that you're treating. And I got to tell you, for everyone who's listening, that she, she is going to be treating some tough disease states. I was going to say that I love everything you said. And a lot of the diseases that you are going to help people with, there's, you know, there's a lot of, it's hard for people on our side to find what the next step is to mm -hmm. help them. For example, fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. For example, irritable bowel syndrome. Mm -hmm. And the last one I wanted to mention, because we did a case in our first book together for medicine, celiac disease. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you hear these diseases, I mean, people who are listening to this podcast are going to say, I have that because these are yeah. common diseases. Yeah. But there's only so much we could offer in certain cases. Mm -hmm. And one of my pet peeves is like, oh, you have celiac disease. Oh, just stay away from gluten. That's it. You're yeah. done. You yeah. know, and fibro. You know, you know, you know, my wife, Michelle, you know, and it's such, I, I, you know, fibro, the pain they feel is real. Mm -hmm. It really is. Mm -hmm. and it's frustrating. So I wanted to compliment you by saying I am very impressed that you are putting these things on your website. You're embracing it. And if you could just comment, what would be your 
approach to some of these diseases that are, are very frustrating. And two, of course, Please mention how do they find you also. Okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But before I do that, I just want to mention with pathology, except for forensics pathology, 98% of the time we're dealing with everybody alive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I do not see dead people. Look, I love uh, that ongoing joke. That's one of my ongoing jokes. With yes, yes. I got, yes, I got, I got but, to tease you all the time. <laughs> I, I, I do not see dead people. Um, I might see mm. live people's body mm. parts, but. Um, but I also see live people. So, okay. you know, the approach is, like I said, I think incorporating this integrative medicine approach mm-hmm. where we're really looking at um, what are the factors that are contributing to their pain or their disease, because there is not just one factor. You can never pinpoint it. So you kind of start to peel back the layers of this patient, like think of, oh, you're going to love this. Um, I don't think this is at your favorite restaurant. This might be at your second favorite restaurant, Cheesecake Factory. Um, what is that? Like the Blooming Onion, right? The oh, blooming- a Blooming. I don't think that's Cheesecake Factory, but we're okay. on the same page. We're on the yeah. same page. So, okay. So we're on the same page here. Yeah. But imagine your, your body as like mm-hmm. this Blooming Onion, right? And at the yeah. core of there, there is something that has started this disease to manifest. And then it, it eventually becomes into some kind of pathology. Um, and but what were the outer layers of how that got there, right? You can't just go to the center and be like, okay, um, you have celiac disease, stay away from this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. It does not work that way. It, it, I agree. It, 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 this integrative medicine is a lot of almost a guided approach. Um, okay. a very, it's a very strong relationship with the patient and the doctor where they're building this trust with each other. And the patient feels like, oh, okay, I can tell them about my, you know, my nighttime binging and, th- and I wake up in the morning and that's why I don't feel good. Or I can tell them that I'm having peanut butter that causes my migraines or, you know, whereas, like I said, I, I do remember my days of internal medicine. Mm-hmm. I could not sit down and have that conversation with patients at that time. It, no, we, I love we, it. We, we didn't, we had... 15 minutes, less than 15 minutes to see the patient, write our note, and have the next patient in the clinic. So integrative really allows for seeing the patient, building a relationship. And the ultimate goal is to have a process where the patient feels healed and the patient feels empowered and the patient walks away feeling like, you know, I can really do this. I like that. I like that quite a bit. Now, let me ask you this. So you know, I know we're friends and everything. So since we're talking about the, the overall view of the patient, so am I, am I going to be your go-to sleep doctor for your patients? Are we going to team up together on this, you know? So if I definitely use sleep. Are you sleep, thinking about the answer? Yes, yes, I am. Because I would t- I'm going to tell you how I would incorporate you. So the answer is yes. But okay. I'm going to tell you at I what level. I thought you were going to say no for a second. I'm like, this is no, a no, podcast no. all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm just going to tell you how I would incorporate you. Because sleep is one of the pillars of health, right? So, you know, in my practice, we go through sleep hygiene. We, of course. we kind of start and address that. But when, uh, you know, we'll address issues of insomnia and um, any of that kind of stuff. But then when it gets to that level that, all right, these lifestyle changes and these things aren't really happening or maybe they're not fixing something, 
then we we do want to we integrative medicine practitioners collaborate very well with other doctors in a sense that I would reach out and be like, listen, can you run this test for me on this patient? I I, I think you'd you'd be able to we we could work together on this. For example, I feel it. I, I have this breast cancer patient right now, and mm-hmm. um, her doctor has been trying to get her to do a mammogram for over a year. Okay. Over a year. Wow. And um, and she just doesn't want to do it because she just does. She has. I'll tell you. Um, because this is not HIPAA or anything. I'm not giving you any names, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, she has a real, real fear that whatever is in her breast that's causing pain, that if she goes and gets this mammogram, that it will rupture and seed the tumor. Oh, okay. This is a very real fear for patients, right? Um, her, her doctor reached out to me, it connected the two of us. And after one conversation with her, I was able to get her to understand not only because I have my integrative medicine practicing skills, mm-hmm. I'm also a breast specialist. So I was able to take her to that level of kind of talking to her about what the tumor actually does, that tumors are generally solid as opposed to cysts that are benign, that in gen- they don't really seed and that really mammograms are the gold standard for diagnosing stuff because she was getting um, thermograms, which can miss a lot of cancers. So I, I think there is a, a lot of room to incorporate an integrative medicine practitioner because they are looking at the person in, in, in a different, and, and like I said, a whole body approach, right? I love it. And I love your example too. That was such a really good example for your pathology skills, what you're doing now, even a shout out to internal medicine. But hey, let's talk about one more thing because, wow, we are some chatty people. I was going to like, well, let's do a half hour. We're like bordering on the hour, man. You talk more than I thought. <laughs> so, hey, uh, let's, let's end a note on uh, our pathology book coming out here. Okay. Okay. So right. both of us, you know, we are big educators. We love teaching medical students around the world. I am so excited that you made the inaugural volume in our new series, Case Reports. I got to make the hand motion. No one's going to see it beyond the pearls. And it integrates clinical with the basic science, obviously basic science heavy. Uh, My question to you is really simple. What is your favorite case in the book? And you can't pick the pulmonary cases because I wrote those. I know it's already understood those are the best cases, but What's your favorite case and what was your experience with this? And then we'll close it off with uh, giving up some your information. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I have a, a favorite case uh, per se. I mean, I must give a lot of credit to a lot of the um, authors and writers who contributed to the book. I mean, they worked very hard. I, I worked on all 50 of those chapters. And, yes, you um, did. Yes, you did. <laughs> um, it, was a, it was a lot of work getting it to the, the, the level that we wanted. Um, I have to thank my um, uh, co-editor also for working yeah. on it. Yeah. But um, I, I'm not going to pick a favorite chapter. I mean, I really enjoyed the process. There's some amazing stuff out there. And and it was definitely written in a perspective where we are looking um, And even if you don't go into pathology, this book is so important for you to really grasp what is going on in a person's disease. Because the last thing any clinician should be doing is going and doing surgery and not 
having an idea of what to expect to go out, going and doing a procedure and not really knowing what the possible end result is. And, and I can tell you from on hands experience that I have had plenty of doctors call me up and be like, is that diagnosis benign or malignant? And <laughs> I mean, and this is something as simple as a, as a gastric polyp or a colonic polyp. And I'm like, I know you do about 20 colonoscopies a day. So you certainly should not be doing that if you don't know what the choices are at the end of it. And I know what makes me so proud of this book is that it has all the basic science you need to score above and beyond what you want in whatever endeavor in life, USMLE, Comlex, but the, cl- the accurate clinical, you know, yeah. it's just a book you're not going to throw in. You're going to keep that for yeah, you're gonna your keep third it. and fourth year. It's just great. Mm-hmm. And now that the moment everyone's been waiting for, which is going to be, how do you get a hold of uh, Dr. Benoit? If they want to find you, they want you for integrative medicine. They want you to, to uh, sign a copy of their case reports, pathology book they're going to be buying. How do we get a hold of you? Yep, yep, absolutely. So you can reach me at my website, www.drbenoit.com. I'm also available on Instagram at drbenoit.com. Oh, well, no, I think it's just at drbenoit, right? And, um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just basically my name, easy to find. And you can send me a message, DM me, um, email me. It's all up there. Um, And I'm going to tell my guy who does all the stuff to put out all your information everywhere. And I have, you know, this uh, sixth sense. This is not going to be the the last time I interview on on the Dr. Raj show. I mean, if you could chat with me for an hour and we can keep on going, I think... this is going to be our thing once in a while to do this. You well, know? I think we just kind of touched on a few <laughs> topics here and, and, you know, we could really open the boat here and in a, in a, in a lot of experiences because, you know, I, I want to know what you were doing during 9-11. So, um, oh, well, maybe next time you could we'll do a, a backwards. You should interview me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I think I want to hear the reverse because when you're going through similar experiences at the same time, but not really the same experience. I, I kind of want to hear it. You know, I have to say, this is one of my favorite moments right now. I've known you, like I said, I'm going to say it again for quite a long time. And the fact that things have changed and more, you've grown to this amazing doctor, you're successful. We're having interviews. I have a podcast. I have never thought our friendship would go to this awesome level. And thank you so much for joining us today. You're amazing. Learn more about her. I'll put her all over uh, on my podcast site so you can find Dr. Pernod. Thanks again for joining us today. You're just truly, truly amazing. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.